The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and before we start today's show, I would like to thank George and Barry for their recent donations. Thank you so much, George and Barry, and for your continued support. It is much appreciated. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the weekly visit of my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. So let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Um, Peter's got, as always, a very interesting topic for us today. I know the title. I've got a rough idea of where he's going to go with it, but I'm going to be as surprised to hear what he has to say as you are. It's called The Real Story of Slavery Today and How We Can Oppose It. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this topic? Andrew, you know that I'm always very interested in history, and it's one of the most remarkable and laudable achievements in history, how Great Britain led the charge in exposing and opposing the slave trade in the 19th century. And starting really in the 1700s, people like William Wilberforce worked day and night uh, for years, decades, mobilizing the forces to bring an end to the slave trade and then to setting all slaves free in any areas where the United Kingdom had any uh, power influence. And then even the Royal Navy launching its ships for the whole of the 19th century as one of its highest priorities to end slavery, not only on the high seas, but even sailing up creeks and uncharted rivers, storming slave stockades, setting captives free. And the Royal Navy expended vast amounts of money and a lot of blood and sacrifice. Let's face it, many British seamen died setting slaves free around the world. And of course, we've got the phenomenal examples of Dr. David Livingston in exposing and opposing the slave trade across Africa, and Henry Morton Stanley and Dr. Kirk and uh, Sir Baker and many others did uh, tremendous work. So we know about the slave trade of the early 19th century that that was brought to an end largely through the work of British abolitionists, um, uh, missionaries, and and the Royal Navy as the greatest force against slavery, and. Uh, I think many people in their mind think of slavery as something that's happened 200 years ago. And, um, you know, thankfully, we don't have it around today. But unfortunately, that's no, not true at all. As uh, as Christianity has retreated in many places, we've seen slavery coming back. And the abolition of slavery was a fruit of Christianity. 
But those who believe that slavery is over today are mistaken. As Christians have retreated from social and political arenas and as nations which once considered themselves Christian now move into what they term the post-Christian era, we're seeing a resurgence of these evils. Those who reject Christianity will in time embrace all of the vices outlawed by Christianity. So what we're seeing in this apostate age, this time of great reset, or you should say great um, regression, uh, is a resurgence of legalized child killing through abortion, the killing of the aged and infirm through euthanasia, the legalization of adultery and polygamy, the legalization of perversion and prostitution, and a massive resurgence in slavery. In fact, it's it's quite shocking. I, I don't know how many of the listeners have seen the film Taken, but uh, Taken shockingly exposed the kidnapping, human trafficking, and slavery that's going on at this very time. And although it was a very Hollywoodified version, uh, none of the atrocities that it was exposing in there uh, are unrealistic. It's, it's in fact, uh, not only going on, it's even worse. A good friends of mine, uh, Doctors for Life, presented a major paper exposing human slavery and prostitution today. Doctors for Life, which is an international body but based in South Africa, reported that human trafficking has become the third largest international criminal activity after drug trafficking and arms dealing. So according to the U.S. State Department, approximately 800,000 people are trafficked internationally every year. In fact, um, Global Slavery Index indicates it's well over a million. Now, this excludes the trafficking within countries. This is just trafficking across borders. 80% of the victims of internationally trafficked victims each year are women and girls, 80%. As many as half, 50%, are children. The majority of female victims are trafficked for the purposes of sexual exploitation there's an extremely strong link between prostitution and human trafficking, as shown in the film Taken. Now, the Doctors for Life report include the testimony of one girl from Eastern Europe who had been lured across the border in response to job offers for a modeling career. She was kidnapped, gang raped, made addicted to drugs, enslaved to a life of prostitution, and this prematurely aged her so much so that within four years her life was over, she died of a drug overdose. That is not unusual. In fact, the life expectancy of a human trafficked girl from Ukraine is about eight years. Uh, she'll be dead within eight years of being uh, human trafficked. And by the way, Ukraine leads the world in human trafficking right now. Uh, shockingly so, just as it leads the world, it seems, in, in uh, biological warfare laboratories and state corruption as well. Uh, interesting what the world's lifting up as such a great example of um, democracy. Well, Ukraine is such a great democracy that its uh, president, Zelensky, has banned 11 of the 12 political parties. The only political party allowed to operate is his own. And he's also banned all media except the state-controlled media. And even before the war with Russia, Ukraine was locking up uh, opposition members of parliament and uh, journalists who disagreed with what they're doing. So uh, interesting what is lifted up as an example of democracy these days, but that's not exactly unusual. So what we have around the world today is a huge amount of slavery. The amount of slaves in the world today is estimated to be at least 45 million, 45 million. And this kind of slavery today, it's human trafficking is probably the best known phenomenon, which is uh, many times girls from Eastern Europe, especially Ukraine, who are lured with offers of work uh, uh, overseas, um, 
It could be in America, it could be in South Africa, it could be in Singapore. And uh, they are lured with the ideas of going to work either as a model or as an actress or uh, as a waitress or whatever it is. And human trafficking particularly likes to take young girls and boys uh, away from their own culture, background, family, support network, community, and especially into areas where they don't speak the language. And that's why even in Cape Town, South Africa, we will find Ukrainian and Russian women trafficked here because uh, they can't speak the local language, their passport's taken away from them, they're told that they're there illegally, and if they uh, try to escape, the police will arrest them and they'll be deported and they've entered the country illegally. And so um, they've basically got a hold of these people. And um, I know these things because our Africa Christian Action Ministry has been involved in years in fighting human trafficking uh, in South Africa. And some of this has come to court. And we've known of groups like House of Rasputin and uh, Teasers and Mavericks. These are are so-called escort agencies, which are thinly disguised uh, covers for brothels. And uh, again, I'm just quoting from what the vice squad and of our Cape Town Metro Police and what the uh, prosecutors have said in court um, when it's been found that these so-called escort agencies had girls who were brought under false pretenses, normally from Russia, Moldova or Ukraine, and brought here because they couldn't speak the local language and they would therefore be vulnerable. They would be abused, they'd be made addicted to drugs, and they would be uh, used in sex trafficking. Now, you may think, how on earth is this possible in a civilized country that uh, human trafficking could take place? Well, believe it or not, the African National Congress, uh, the government of South Africa, the Marxist uh, government of South Africa, in 2007, the National Police Commissioner and head of Interpol at that time, Jackie Celebi, recommended to Parliament that prostitution be legalized in time for the World Cup soccer to be held in South Africa in 2010. Now, I thought soccer was about football, but apparently it's about sex trafficking, according to the um, head of Interpol at the time, Jackie Celebi. Well, we had a member of parliament of the ANC recommending prostitution be legalized for the 2010 World Cup soccer. At the same time, the Durban municipality announced that they wanted to create red light districts for the sex industry, quote unquote, in time for 2010 World Cup soccer. And the head of Interpol and National Police Commissioner Jackie Celebi was later removed from office as his extensive links with organized crime was exposed. Uh, a bit embarrassing when your police commissioner and the head of Interpol actually is um, working with the criminals. Well, Doctors for Life sent out press statements declaring that they were appalled by the fact that the ANC government would consider rolling out the welcome mat for organized crime syndicates who trade in human lives, exploiting the poor and desperate and forcing them into the so-called sex trade, which is you know, human trafficking, slavery. Uh, Doctors for Life reported that 40,000 women and children were trafficked into Germany for prostitution during the previous World Cup soccer event. And the same could be expected for any country where World Cup soccer goes. Women and children are used as merchandise to cash in on the event. Pimps, syndicates, drug dealers line their pockets during the event, and they don't go away at the end of the games, you can be sure. Well, Prostitution is obviously an act of violence, which is intrinsically harmful. It traumatizes the people involved. And so improving the circumstances in which a prostitute works doesn't reduce the harm done. And in South Africa, a survey carried out amongst 475 sex workers when asked what do you need, 89% replied to leave prostitution. And so we've had members of parliament in South Africa recommending 
um, that uh, we called human trafficking what it is, uh, slavery. And uh, uh, one report from the Africa Christian Democratic Party said, the report funded by the United States Agency for International Development claims that crime syndicates of human traffickers, slave traders, are increasing operations in South Africa, organizations involved in investigating cases and providing therapy for victims say human trafficking for sex and slavery is rife throughout the world, especially Africa and Asia, but in, especially in South Africa and the Eastern Cape, what we used to call Transkai. Human rights activists said they feared that this would escalate as the World Cup event was hosted in the country. We urged the government to beef up dedicated police units to close down human trafficking operations. More must be done to educate South Africans of the dangers of being lured by the promise of work only to find themselves abducted and captive to modern day slave traders. And would you believe it? What did the ANC government do in response? They closed down the vice squads. All vice squads throughout the country was closed down. No dedicated police focused on combating human trafficking, except in the Western Cape. Uh, in, in my city, Cape Town, we have a metro police who have a vice squad and they've been very involved. Well, what we've learned is that the girls are told there's good jobs in the city. So they often will take girls from rural communities into cities where they don't speak the language, always important. And um, interestingly, often it's friends and family members are offered to pay for the traveling costs, passports, accommodation. And it turns out that in many cases, the family members are trafficking them and getting paid to traffic their relatives uh, beyond comprehension, but it's it's documented. And this especially includes Moldova and Ukraine. And the community allows the traffickers to take the girls because it's a good opportunity for them. The traffickers promise nice clothes, jewelry, expensive gifts, and they put adverts in newspapers promising good jobs, training, accommodation. This is done openly in Russia and Ukraine, uh, where they recruit people for uh, modeling and uh, um, uh, entertainment jobs and uh, act, acting and things like this overseas. And all they're doing is they're trafficking them into human slavery. When they get to the destination, the ID documents or passports are taken away for safekeeping. And uh, now they're told you're in another country, you can't prove you're legally in the country. And now they told you, oh, it's money. So all the money that were offered now, well, you've got to pay us back for the accommodation, the transport. The, and it works out that, in fact, they have nothing. And then they even take away their food and water and they gang rape them to break their will, uh, to make them willing to be prostitutes, to give them drugs. Whatever they they do, they make sure that the girls are broken, that they don't have any will to resist. And they're told if you call the police, we'll hurt your family sometimes. They, they threaten the lives of their family back home if they um, even have a family. Some, unfortunately, are are. Uh, parentless, and uh, they, they go for people who don't have family back home. But in other cases, they threaten the family back home. And they can't do what they want anymore, and they can't go alone. And uh, they are encouraged to take drugs because it makes it easy for them to forget and to take the pain away and to get them addicted. And now they need even more money in order to pay for the drugs. And this is just one insight into what's going on. Most trafficked victims today, according to UNICEF, are between the age of five to 15 years of age, five to 15 years of age is most of those trafficked. According to UNICEF, 1.2 million children are trafficked every year. And uh, it's, it's an industry that's in the billions. It's hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Um, that's according to International Labor Association. So this is huge. And 
Uh, over the years, I've led a number of our Africa Christian Action outreaches outside escort agencies in South Africa. And as we've sung hymns and prayed and handed out evangelistic literature to passers-by, we've come under attack by pimps who've accused us of undermining their business. I've been assaulted a number of occasions. On one occasion, a very large Russian pimp picked me off my feet in Durban West Street outside his galaxy brothel and threw me overhead over a parked car into West Street and tires were screaming and cars were swerving to break and avoid running over me as I rolled into this main road um, this at night. And uh, that same uh, pimp, by the way, got shot in the head uh, dead by his own uh, tocker of pistol under his pillow by a prostitute that he had trafficked who had had enough of his abuse. And that was about a week after his uh, attack on me. On another occasion, I had a bucket of beer, wine, and viola liquids poured over me, drenching me from head to toe. Um, you can imagine coming home and, uh, you know, my wife was, what is that smell? And I said, I've just been to the brothels and it certainly smelled like it. Um, <laughs> pimps and prostitutes threw all kinds of things at us, including condoms filled with liquids, shouting they were sharing their aids with us. We had one of our people have his nose broken by some violent pimp. And uh, at, at one escort agency brothel in West Street, I mean, it's just showing how the ANC has let this kind of crime run rampant in a country that never tolerated this before. Uh, the pimps organized for some corrupt policemen to arrest our group of Christians praying and sing outside. And these were people who were, um, you know, we're talking about respectable old grandfathers and grandmothers with gray hair, were arrested for interfering with the business of this, this uh, brothel. And uh, the men actually went to court and the police were forced to pay out compensation for wrongful arrest. Um, I, I'd been asked uh, by Quest Ubuntu Mission to train some of the people in, in uh, local outreaches. And I'd taken them downtown into Durban for doing so. And uh, I'd been placing the people outside these different brothels, singing, praying, handing out literature. And when I came back to this one in West Street, the, the team was gone. I, I was disappointed they'd given up so early. But, you know, I went back to the mission that night. And in the morning, I had someone run over to me during the Sunday morning service and said, do you know that Uncle so-and-so and Auntie so-and-so, -and -so, they spent last night in jail? What? I didn't know. <laughs> These people were put under my, my care. Well, next thing I had someone else come to me and say, Uncle Erlo wants to see you. Well, that's Reverend Erlo Stegan, the head of the mission. Well, I thought I was in deep trouble. Fortunately, he was angry with the, the police and the brothels, not with me, and uh, ordered me to take his eldest daughter uh, and uh, um, show her what's going on for the demonstration. He's providing us with more buses and more people to go through and have more demonstrations till our people were released and uh, uh, the apologies were issued for, by the authorities. And um, when we were downtown, I saw um, uh, there, there was uh, Erla Stegan's daughter taking pictures with a camera and one pimp came striding towards and I realized he's going to, he's, he's going for her. And uh, so I quickly uh, stepped in front of her, took her camera, put it under my arm and uh, I folded my, my arms, you know, sort of like blocking him from, from injuring uh, the daughter of the mission leader. And this is this pimp who picked me up over his head and hurtled me into the road. Uh, you know, like I weighed nothing. Um, and, uh, uh, well, that was the pimp who ended up uh, dead by his own Tokarov just a week later by one of his victims. So these things are real. Uh, these things go on. And I've documented in Sudan, in my book, Faith and Defiant Sudan, and in films like Sudan, the Hidden Holocaust, the ongoing Islamic slavery in Sudan. 
And anti-slavery organizations have documented the prevalence of slavery in countries like Mauritania, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, other Middle Eastern countries. Mende Nazir, a Nubian girl, published her biography, Slave, My True Story, documenting her enslavement. She was captured in the Nuba Mountains in 1992 by slave raiders. She was first a slave to a rich Arab family in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. Then in 2002, she was sold to a Sudanese diplomat in London. Imagine audacity. She was in London, a slave in the Sudanese embassy. Well, she knew that in Britain, slavery is illegal. And Mende Nazir escaped and sought political asylum in England and published this expose, Slave, My True Story. That's pretty up to date. There's numerous communist countries like Red China who also make use of huge slave labor camps to produce cheap items for export. And it's it may shock a lot of people to know that a lot of what you purchase, especially if you go to Disney World or to McDonald's or to Walmart, a lot of the products you you purchase from those places are made in China by slave labor. And no wonder they can undercut the prices because they don't pay their, their uh, workers. In many cases, those workers are effectively slaves. And handicapped people forced to do dangerous work and children forced to do uh, work without compensation, just just food and and lodging, which is more like a slave camp. So from these and many other examples, it should be clear to us that the war against slavery is not over, not yet. Christianity has always been the greatest movement for liberty. So it should not surprise us that as Christianity is rejected and excluded from the public sphere, especially from governments, we're seeing an increasing resurgence of paganism, including infanticide, the killing of infants, polygamy, many wives for one man, perversion, uh, gender confusion, prostitution, and slavery, which today we call human trafficking, but call it by its historic name, slavery. And while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So 2 Peter 2.19 could be written over so much of politics today. They promise liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, slaves of depravity. So as we resolve to continue to campaign for the complete eradication of all forms of slavery in the 21st century, we can receive a lot of instruction and inspiration from the example of William Wilberforce, who managed to fight against slavery in an age where it was considered not just economically essential to the the nation's well-being, uh, but uh, considered morally acceptable. And he campaigned successfully to bring an end to the slave trade. And, you know, just consider John Newton, the former slave ship captain who was converted and who later wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that we sing. Um, And uh, John Newton became a great campaign against slavery. And at one point, William Wilberforce, when he was converted to Christ, asked John Newton, now a pastor, should I leave politics and enter the ministry? And John Newton admonished him that to leave his post in Parliament would be desertion from the duty to which God had called him. It is hoped and believed that the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and for the good of the nation. And so at the time of William Wilberforce's conversion, there were only two other evangelical members of Parliament. However, by the time of his death, there were over 100 evangelical, in other words, born-again, Bible-believing members in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. And William Wilberforce wrote the powerful book, Practical Christianity, which was an instant bestseller. It went through five editions just in the first six months. It was a bestseller in England, in America, translated into French, Italian, Spanish, Dutch, German. 
David Livingston testified that Practical Christianity by William Wilberforce was one of the most important influential books he ever read, and which influenced Livingston's whole direction of dedicating his life to missions in Africa and to eradicating the slave trade in Africa. Well, William Wilberforce knew he was going up against an extremely profitable business with deeply entrenched financial interests and with a lot of political support. So William prepared his campaign carefully. He wrote in his diary, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of society. And so he gathered a group of researchers, assistants dedicated to eradicating slavery. And on the 12th of May, 1789, William Wilberforce introduced a bill for the abolition of the slave trade with a stirring three and a half hour speech, moving 12 resolutions against the slave trade. It was reported as one of the most gripping, moving speeches ever delivered in the House of Commons. And Wilberforce's friend, the Prime Minister William Pitt, declared Wilberforce had the greatest natural eloquence of all the men I ever knew. And in many, in fact, most of the members of Parliament were convinced of the righteousness of Wilberforce's arguments. But sadly, at this point, the French Revolution erupted and the tide of public opinion hardened against abolition in reaction to anarchy and mass murder across the Channel and the deteriorating situation in France and a bloody revolt by slaves in Saint-Domingue and massacres by slaves in Haiti led to further public reticence and panic, which swayed the debate against abolition. And so Wilberforce's bill was defeated year after year. And the fact that Britain lost to American colonies at that moment uh, and that the war with France was looming didn't help matters at all. And William Wilberforce became one of the most hated men in England as he persisted in raising the case against slavery. But he did persevere and he did not stop. And although he became the target of scurrilous smear campaigns in the media, he was physically assaulted. He was even the target of attempted murder. Yet William Wilberforce persevered and after a lifetime crusade, his steadfastness was rewarded with the liberation of all slaves in the British Empire, which particularly affected uh, the people in Jamaica. Uh, this extraordinary tenacity, which William Wilberforce displayed through 46 years of legislative warfare, is an epic of parliamentary endurance. And abol abolishing the slave trade became for him the grand object of his parliamentary existence to be an instrument of stopping such a course of wickedness and cruelty as ever disgraced any Christian country. And for the first 20 years, he was rejected by most of his friends, vilified by his enemies, forsaken even by most churchmen. But every year he reintroduced bills against slavery. Every year he faced defeat. But his marathon resilience and it was all the more remarkable when you understand William Wilberforce was short, frail, frequently sick, afflicted by poor eyesight. He suffered from lung problems. He had a curvature of the spine, which forced him for the last 18 years of his life to wear steel and leather girdle as a brace beneath his clothes. Yet he made up for his weak body with a vigorous mind and boundless energy. He was not only an eloquent friend, uh, eloquent speaker, but a generous friend and compassionate to strangers. And whenever his adversaries knocked him down, he jumped up again. He would not give up. Neither physical handicaps, nor public opinion, nor character assassination campaigns or political pressure, not physical threats, none of this deterred or deflected him from persevering on his mission to set the captives free. And the example of Christ inspired him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release to the prisoners, as given in Isaiah 61. And he worked tirelessly 
he used petitions and literature and leaflets and artwork and local reformation societies. He mobilized so many different campaigns. In the end, over a million Britons signed this petition for the abolition of the slave trade. He, he really was the founder of um, so many different uh, modern uh, strategies, which included, for example, a campaign to boycott sugar because sugar was grown at that stage with the use of slave labor in, in the um, Caribbean. And uh, at one point, William Wilberforce uh, challenged the House about the East India Company, the British East India Company's outrageous policies of banning missionaries from the uh, Eastern positions. And Wilberforce declared in Parliament, the, after describing the terrible poverty and degradation and disdain for relieving human suffering uh, and the human rights abuse in India, like widow burning, suti, and the horrendous caste system, he responded, the remedy, sir, is Christianity. Christianity assumes a true character when she takes under her protection those degraded beings on whom philosophy looks down with disdain or perhaps with contemptuous condescension. Christianity delights to instruct the ignorant, to succor the needy, to comfort the sorrowful, to visit the forsaken. And when asked and challenged, was he not forcing his ideas on the Indians, he responded, compulsion and Christianity? Why, the very terms are at variance. The ideas are incompatible. Christianity is the law of liberty. He was not asking Parliament to organize evangelism, merely to permit it. Surely the East India Company had been granted a monopoly by Parliament. Therefore, it was up to Parliament to ensure that they allowed religious freedom in India. Next to the slave trade, I have long thought are making no effort to introduce the blessings of Christianity and moral improvement amongst our subjects in the East is the greatest of our national crimes. We have too many who think our dominions are safer under Brahma and Vishnu than under that of Almighty God. And so he fought for a campaign that would permit the activities of all missionaries in the East. And what William Wilberforce pioneered was phenomenal. He outflanked the corrupt interest of the slavers and the plantation owners in Parliament. He introduced pamphlet wars, petitions, graphic prints, legal societies, uh, volunteer societies, voters' guides. And while he was fighting slavery abroad, he was intensely involved in reform at home. He opposed flogging in the army. He sought to improve prison conditions. He improved working conditions in coal mines, the first to campaign against the abuse of child labor in the cotton mills. He pioneered popular education, campaigned against game laws, helped found the British and Foreign Bible Society and the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. He was a reformer on every level. And we today need this kind of example of excellence because we need to oppose slavery today. And, and by the way, slavery today is more than human trafficking and forced labor and bonded labor uh, and child slavery, all of which are very common in the world today. It's also child marriages and forced marriages. There's a lot of forced marriages, which is another form of slavery. There's descent-based slavery where people are born into slavery because they're class or caste. And there's domestic slavery, um, and there's a lot of that. And there's slavery in supply chains. There's a lot of food supplies and products that are produced, which are produced with slavery. And Red China is particularly guilty of this. And it makes you wonder, all these people in the West who will denounce people of previous generations from hundreds of years ago for being involved in slavery, have no problem buying from a Chinese slave labor uh, produced goods from Walmart or from Disney or from McDonald's, 
And uh, it's amazing how many have no problem with buying clothing made in the sweatshops of Asia using slave labor in many cases, uh, which not only take away jobs from our local people, um, but which is bought on the very backs and the sweat and the abuse of people in, in the Far East in particular. So countries where slavery today is, is very common uh, includes North Korea and India, uh, Uzbekistan, China, of course, massive uh, amount of slavery, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Whenever you see the word democratic in a name, you know that it's not. Um, and Pakistan, a huge amount of slavery there. Sudan, well, I've spoken to people who were victims of it, and I've got testimonies in my book, Faith and Defiance in Anne, and Slavery, Terrorism, Islam, the Historic Roots and Contemporary Threat, which documents the slavery that's going on in Sudan to this day. Tens of thousands of Sudanese Christian men, women, children kidnapped, sold as slaves by government soldiers and Arab militias. And uh, it's, it's horrific. And uh, in fact, you've even got in Britain Baroness Caroline Cox, who proved the slavery in Sudan. She went to Sudan with journalists and actually bought slaves in the open slave markets and, of course, set them free and had this filmed in order to document the fact that slavery exists in the world today. And uh, we've got uh, interviews with her in our Sudan Hidden Holocaust film, uh, which we helped produce, uh, exposing and, exp and um, um, publicizing this, that you can actually see the slave traders and the slavery uh, transactions taking place in the marketplace in Sudan. Dominican Republic has slavery, producing sugarcane and so on many working 14 hours a day, seven days a week in appalling conditions. And these workers are without electricity, without clean water, without education, without healthcare, without even adequate nutrition. Um, there's a lot of slavery in Yemen and the Middle East and Iraq. There's more slavery today in Iraq since the Americans liberated it than there was before. Indonesia has huge amounts of slavery, the largest Muslim nation on earth uh, in terms of population. Uh, there's slavery in the Philippines. And uh, we can see all kinds of Guatemala. Um, there's a massive amount of slavery going on even in Nigeria today. So uh, there are many countries, even where we work, where slavery is taking place. And what we can see in the world today is a colossal one. Afghanistan, slavery is back in huge numbers, since worse since the Americans left than what it was before, uh, with the Taliban now in charge. And uh, we are seeing uh, slavery that is, uh, even in, in places like Iran, uh, even in Egypt, uh, there is slavery. Uh, so this this is something that that is real and we need to know about it. And when we look at the um, mass of slavery today, uh, it's quite clear that the vast majority of slaves are in Asia. The vast majority is Asia and, and the Middle East. And again, what do these places have in common? Generally speaking, the countries where Christianity has worked the least, where there's the least amount of missionaries, the lowest percentage of Christians, that's where we've got the highest human suffering index, the lowest on the human freedom index. And uh, uh, it shouldn't surprise us that where the church has done the least, there are the most problems and the greatest threats. And there's a lot of slavery that's going on through human trafficking, through uh, bonded uh, labor, um, all of this forced labor, child slavery, forced marriages. And these things take place, especially in the Muslim world, in the communist world, and uh, to some extent also in the Hindu world, countries that have a non-Christian worldview in particular. But it may horrify people to know, you've got slavery in Britain 
and in America too. And uh, there's a lot of human trafficking and prostitution dens using exploited people, even in your own countries. Not only are there British people who are trafficked into the Middle East, into slavery, but the people from Eastern Europe who trafficked into Britain for slavery, especially in the sex industries. And it's, it's, it's evil. But perhaps most of us haven't considered a slavery where each one of us are victims as well. Debt slavery. I mean, how well do we understand the um, creature from Jekyll Island, the uh, reserve banks, the as was well documented by Stephen Mitford Goodson in his book, A, A History of Central Banking and the Enslavement of Mankind. Stephen Mitford Goodson, who was at one time director of the Southern Reserve Bank, became a whistleblower. He, in fact, published a book inside the South African Reserve Bank, and he uh, campaigned and, and documented the slavery that all of us are made to subsidize through our taxes and through inflation and through the banking system. And uh, this is a serious economist. Stephen Mitford Goodson was a regular guest on the uh, Reformation Society, and uh, he explained to us that the um, U United States Reserve Bank, it's not American, it's has no reserves and it's not a bank. And he would also say about the South African Reserve Bank, it's not South African, it has no reserves and it isn't a bank. And the money that it lends to governments is actually fake. It's just produced by computer blips on the screen. Uh, they create the money for for the loans uh, and then, of course, uh, print it on printing presses. But while the money might be fake, not backed up by real value and, and uh, gold or silver or anything like that, but the, the interest that the taxpayers must pay, that is very real. And so that countries are working uh, sometimes for decades to pay off loans that are taken by government, especially in times of war. Where do you think all the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and pounds that are, are being thrown into, for example, the Ukraine war or that were uh, thrown down the drain in the Afghanistan war, the Iraq war? Uh, where, where does all this money come from? Well, it's loaned by Rothschild-controlled banks, or what we call the banksters, which is amalgamation of the term gangster and banker. So the banksters loan the money to the governments, and then the governments force the taxpayers to pay for sometimes generations to pay off the debt. So, for example, Britain took generations to pay off its First World War and Second World War war debts uh, to the um, Rothschild banks. And so, uh, literally, there were uh, people in Britain in, in our lifetime, we were still paying off debts for the First World War and the Second World War uh, through taxes and inflation. Remember, inflation is another hidden tax. So that, um, I don't know what it is in Britain, but in America, they say that you're working till about um, the end of May for the government because it, it, about five months of your, your income is, is going to the government. More than 40% of your total earnings is going to government taxes. So basically, through May, you're working for the government, and only after that can you start working for yourself. Well, that's not even counting inflation. So take South Africa right now. Um, I used to be able to fill up um, my vehicle for under five rand. Today, it costs over a thousand rand to fill a petrol tank. Uh, there was a time when five rand would fill your petrol tank, and now a hundred rand won't even get your needle out of the empty. Now, I know that I did that last night. Um, at the moment, we're paying huge amounts in petrol, but not only is most of the money we're paying in petrol going to the government through taxes. Think about that. More money goes to the government through taxes in South Africa when we pay for petrol than goes to the oil-producing company, the oil-producing country, and the petrol station combined. 
And so that's another form of, of, of theft. But I'm not talking about that only. I'm talking about the inflation. The first time I traveled to Britain, Germany, and America by plane as a missionary, it cost me 1,000 rand for the air tickets. It took me for two and a half months across quite a few countries and continents, including behind Iron Curtain, so on, 1,000 rand. Well, a um, <laughs> thousand rand now, uh, uh, you need more than that to fill up your, your petrol tank uh, of a normal car. So what's happened? When I was growing up, the Rhodesian dollar was stronger than the British pound, 1970s, and it was stronger than the American dollar. Uh, today, a hundred trillion dollar note in Zimbabwe wouldn't even buy a loaf of bread. So um, that's how it reached uh, by the time of 2008. And uh, that's after taking 16 zeros off the currency. One brick in Zimbabwe in 2008 cost more than every property, business, company, uh, possession and home combined in Rhodesia in 1980. And this is what inflation can do. Inflation is a hidden tax. Some people get very rich on it. And so to say that most of us in the world today are debt slaves and that so much of what we work for is actually going to the banksters and the political parasitical class that are um, literally leeching off the industry and the hard work and ingenuity and creativity of its citizens is no exaggeration. So I'm sorry to have to say that, but the real story of slavery today is not just the fact that human traffickers are back and that there's over 45 million slaves in the world today using the traditional anti-slavery definition of what a slave is, but that actually there's billions of slaves around the world today if you consider the banking system as Stephen Mitford Goodson exposed in his book, A History of Central Banking and the Enslavement of Mankind. I think he's made the point that all of us have been made debt slaves through the inflationary system, which is a hidden tax, and the iniquitous system of governments uh, charging their citizens exorbitant amounts and, of course, stealing from them through inflation, which is hidden tax as well, in order to pay the bankers for loans, which are taken for their wars and foreign aid and so many other uh, spurious purposes around the world. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. It's interesting, isn't it? Because they keep pushing this great reset to take money off the people and uh, have us basically renting anything. But no government uh, in the world seems to have come up with the idea of how about we don't pay these bankers back any money. I remember hearing somebody years ago, well, not that well, so I don't remember exactly who it was, but uh, they went down the lines of to get the banks off your backs. You just say, right, we're converted. We're going to a new currency you convert it across and then you pay in that currency the bankers what uh, you owe them and then you just uh, carry on from there. Uh, and it seemed a little bit of a simplistic way of doing it, but essentially it was just demonstrating the point that these people are creating money out of nothing and then charging interest to the people on it. And this is why the very first Rothschild, who um, uh, Amschel, um Mayor Rothschild, Mayor. who who was a uh, bower, he made the famous statement, give me control of a nation's money and I care not who makes its laws because if you get control of the money, then you get control of the country. And that's why we're seeing all this um, control today with manifesting in such ways as we're going to lock you in your houses if you don't take this jab. And they really believe, they, these people, honestly, in my opinion, uh, believe that they can pull this off, that they can get a situation whereby they own everything 
and we rent everything from them and we pay subscriptions to them and if we step out of line or say anything then they turn our money off and we can see how they've played this out with the cancel culture that they've been doing to people that they don't like and so in in my position of course um having had books on amazon can be very uh, quite lucrative in the sense of you feel you feel it i was never going to make fortunes off it but it really hit my income cut it at least in half because most people go over there so they create these monopolies and then when they've got the monopolies that's when you, you know when they've got the monopoly when the censorship starts because mm. to give you an example with amazon uh, Tex Moss put the book on Amazon in 2007. It didn't get taken down until I think 2018. Um, and I'd got my own self-published books on there by then from 2012. Um, so they didn't have a problem with it back then. And I know that obviously they've been uh, narrowing the Overton window during that time uh, in order to get rid of things that they don't like. But it's it just shows how monopolies work and how the whole purpose they want the money obviously but the purpose is all about control they want to control the people and they only want people that are going to go along with them in society what are your thoughts on that peter you're spot on uh, indeed as we saw during the lockdown lunacy covert cult masquerade madness and the whole um uh, salvation by vaccination, they were showing that you're our slaves. We can control what you do, when you do it, where you can do it, where you can be. We can tell you you're not allowed outside, you can't breathe fresh air, uh, and in fact, you've got to take our mark. You know, this is the worst kind of slavery where they literally can brand you, you know, like branding cattle, that uh, line up and get this experimental medical procedure that's going to inject who knows what and maybe even put some nano chip that you can be tracked and that whole idea that they can control you your movements and your body but worse than that now we see they think they can control your thoughts because now it's a thought crime to say this and it's hate speech if you say that and you're wondering when you're going to start getting to what george orwell warned about where you could even be guilty of face crime uh, where you look um, incredulous or uh, cynical or suspicious or unbelieving when a government propaganda department uh, news release comes out, you know, whether about a victory or an achievement or whatever. And uh, you could be guilty of, of a face crime, not just a thought crime and hate speech, uh, but uh, even face crime, even the expressions on your face could be in trouble. And we, we're getting there where you're not allowed to have an opinion, a view, a perspective that disagrees. And if they say, Everyone who gets this jab will be safe from COVID. Uh, remember that they were saying this? I mean, Joe Biden, who's just uh, had COVID for the how manyth time, um, uh, he was saying, there's no way that you'll get COVID if you get this this uh, uh, jab. This, this um, inoculation is going to um, keep you safe. You won't be able to get it. You won't be able to share it and so on and so forth. And it's 100% effective and it's totally effective and blah, blah, blah. Well, suddenly everyone who got the jab, including Biden and Johnson and, well, even Ramaphosa, our president in South Africa, they were how many times uh, jabbed and inoculated and boosted and wearing the face masks, face diapers and uh, uh, face rags and so on, and they still get COVID. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the whole lot of them. So who's ever heard of any inoculation before in history where it doesn't stop you from getting the disease you're getting inoculated against? I mean, what kind of vaccination is that? <laughs> 
<laughs> um, hear these people, and you're not even allowed to notice this or point out inconsistencies or remind them that they lied or uh, point out the many thousands of people who've had adverse effects and who've died as a result of having the COVID. Do you know, just taking one of the examples, and uh, my son's a, an athlete and a coach, uh, so I know these things well. Um, do you know there's been a massive increase in athletes, professional athletes, some of the healthiest people on the planet, uh, killing over and dying? In fact, the um, the increase in deaths of professional athletes uh, since uh, 2020, uh, do you know what the increase is in the last year? 1,700%. We've got a 17 times more professional athletes are dropping dead from heart attack, strokes, and um, uh, clots, blood clots, and so on, since all of them vaccinated. So plainly, the vaccination has not made people healthy. In many cases, it's made them weaker. But, you know, if, if there was a 5% increase, that would be significant. 10% would be serious. A 1,700% increase in deaths in professional athletes over the last year since the vaccination was rolled out. Why is this not front-page newspaper headlines everywhere? Back to you, Andrew. Indeed, yes, and this um, we we have to keep spreading the word. We have to keep sharing shows like this, getting these things out there, because we don't know how long we're going to be on the air. And I still feel that the work that we've all done collectively, I'm talking about everybody who's woken up and they're listening to the independent media and they might not be listening to Peter and I, they might be finding other sources that are also telling them the truth. Uh, it is... I think that that has prompted them to act too soon. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're having an effect, but these people are notoriously paranoid if you look at their actions throughout history. And they uh, tend to have an ability to overreact, and that's one of their weaknesses. Now, I hope that we are as strong as, as we can be, because obviously we need to... It's got to a stage where we are defending our very lives. I mean, potentially... How many of you listening would be surprised if later in the year your government said, right, there's this great new outbreak and we're making vaccines mandatory. And if you will not have the vaccine, we're going to take you away and we're going to put... Because they've been gradually chipping away at getting you to that model. Mm. So people won't be surprised. So this is how late the hour is. But at the same time, Peter, do you think that something forced their hand because they made such a hash of it although they they believe they've got all the control of the mainstream media and they can the governments and they can pull it off there's been such a huge backlash and so much information coming out and so many people that knew nothing about what we've been talking about for for years long uh, before the um pandemic what they've done has probably created several times over more people than were already awake to what was going on. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. So when we look, what happened? Well, in 2016, there were some very significant moves. And the one move was Brexit, which was against all, nobody anticipated because the media was against it. The uh, government was against it. The opposition was against it. The ruling party was against it. And yet Brexit came through, obviously primarily through alternative media and social media, that uh, the mainstream media was totally against Brexit, but the bulk of people ignored what the government and even the opposition party and what the what the um, the official opposition that is, and uh, what the mainstream media was saying, they ignored the BBC and the whole lot, and they went with the alternative media. 
And then Trump gets elected at the end of 2016. And I think this, this sent them into hyper-apoplexy. And in South Africa, we started to have real resistance for what our government was doing as they were trying to push everything from expropriation of farms without compensation and movements for secession of uh, especially the Western Cape and other parts of the country grew. And suddenly you start to see fact-checkers. We'd never seen fact-checkers before, but uh, until the truth started getting out, there was no need for these censors who are actually uh, fact inhibitors or uh, they're wanting to censor the facts rather than to, to uh, confirm it. So I think what we're seeing is, is hysteria uh, against the resistance that's growing. And then, of course, it looks like the pandemic was planned for something like 2024 or so. They, they rolled it out too soon because they were so panicked about the possibility of a Donald Trump second term and it seems that this was another major uh, goal, that too many of the peasants were waking up and opposing and too many other opinions are coming out there. So for whatever reason, um, it seems that there was too much of the truth getting out and they had to clamp down. And so this scamdemic, pandemic, COVID cult coming out was a major way of muzzling the opposition and suppressing everyone and being able to stop the resistance. But it's backfired. I think to a large extent, the resistance is greater now than ever before. Just take South Africa. Uh, before the uh, lockdown, uh, we had 7,000 members of Cape Exit. That's people committed and members of a party moving for the independence of the Western Cape. 7,000. Well, today there's over 840,000 uh, signed up members of Cape Exit. So the exponential growth of secessionist movements in our country, and that's just one of them. There's, there's, there's others. Uh, quite a few others, but just, just talking about CAPEX alone, you know, from 7,000 to 840,000 in the space of two years is spectacular by any uh, estimation. And we've only got 3 million voters in the whole of the Western Cape anyway. So we're well on our way to, to getting a majority uh, for uh, independence of the Western Cape. So I think all of these, all over the world, you can see there's resistance rising and phenomenal growth of Marine Le Pen's uh, National Front in France and the uh, resistance uh, to the EU, whether you're talking about in Poland or in Hungary, uh, in Netherlands, in Italy, Austria. So there's, there's rising nationalism against the globalist internationalist agenda. And this is part of the clampdown. So the Great Reset is nothing less than a great regression, or should we call it the Great Revolution? Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic information as always. And uh, before we go, can you please uh, feel free to give any closing statement, but please do let the audience know how they can contact you and where they can find your work. Yes, certainly. Well, I've written on slavery, terrorism and Islam, the historical roots and contemporary threat. That's a book on modern day slavery and and even Faith and Defiance Sudan includes quite a lot on slavery as it is in, 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 Af in Sudan today. But uh, those books um, and other of our resources available on our www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, and uh, the, uh, the different groups that are exposing slavery as in human trafficking today in particular, I'd recommend there's an excellent film out called Nefarious, Merchant of Souls, Nefarious, Merchant of Souls, well worth seeing, it's a drama uh, exposing and uh, well well worth understanding a lot of the human trafficking going on today and the pivotal role that Ukraine plays in it, I might add. Um, uh, it's just extraordinary when you start to see all the things that, that come together when, when you look at this. So there's also a, a very good film 
Trade of Innocence, which is, uh, again, a drama well worth understanding the modern slavery. And of course, some of you have probably already seen the Taken film, which while a Hollywood action drama still does alert one to the reality of the underworld of human trafficking that's going on today. I've written a number of things on this, like The Christian Liberation of Women, which is available as a, a leaflet. Uh, we've got um, a whole range of materials like Stop the Traffic, which uh, you can see on the Frontline Mission SA.org website or on our ChristianAction.org.za because Christian Action is uh, the website uh, which mobilizes our different activities. This coming uh, week, Tuesday, the 9th of August, is National Women's Day in South Africa. We actually, every Women's Day for the last 27 years, we mobilize mass literature distribution of traffic lights, and we have put up stores and displays and shopping centers, and we make a big uh, effort to expose human trafficking today and, and mobilizing opposition to it. So that's one thing. If anyone's in the Cape Town area, contact us. Uh, we would like to hear from you. My email is peter at frontline.org.za, or ZA as Americans say. So uh, peter at frontline.org.za. Uh, that's my personal email. would love to hear from you all. And of course, we, we also active on social media too. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, that, the contact information will be in the post for this show. So you have been listening to a show entitled The Real Story of Slavery Today and how we can oppose it. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'll be back with you tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.